The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Holy Cross. If you're new with us, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Thanks for spending uh, your morning with us. I know there's a lot of things that you could be doing today and probably have a lot planned this afternoon. So thanks for coming to worship with us. Well, the past few weeks we've been talking about uh, finding an internal stability uh, in the midst of uh, external trouble, chaos, uh, whatever it is. And we've talked about disciplining our hearts, disciplining our minds, and even having people in our life that we can um, imitate, uh, people that we can look at and say, who is, who is following Christ well? Who is, who is a good example for me to, to be like? And, and we want to follow those people. Well, you know there's one thing to learn something intellectually. Learn it in a book, learn it in a classroom, uh, learn it somewhere else, and there's something totally different to experience something, to experience, go through an experience. This may be like learning how to swim, so much different when you actually get out in the water, learning to drive a manual transmission. You could read about it, you can be told how to do it. Getting on the road is something altogether different. Well, then there are things complex like patience and compassion, or being a good listener, and things like that. You pray for patience, and you may have heard it said before, well, we, when we pray for patience, God gives us opportunities to be patient. When we pray for compassion, He gives us opportunities in which to be compassionate. And it's there in that experience that we learn so deeply what it means to be those things. Well, Paul, in our passage, the writer of this, this scripture that we read, he has learned the secret to contentment. What extreme circumstances and experiences must you go through to learn how to be a person who's content in all things, in the highs, in the lows, in the struggles, the joys, the sorrows, and all of it. He said, in all things, I've learned the secret to being content. And he doesn't turn back to us and say, and that's for me to know and you to find out. No, he tells us. And we want to sit at his feet and learn from him and what he has to say, learn from his experiences. Here's why I think we need Paul's perspective on contentment. Here's why I think his experience is important for us because there's certain kind of wisdom that flows out of experience there's a certain kind of of lesson and wisdom and goodness that flows from a life of a person who has lived those experiences there's a certain sense of wisdom that comes from just from living life so those who are young ought to not be so quick to discredit those who are older than them but to pause and to think maybe they have something to teach me Maybe there's wisdom there in their age, in their years. Maybe they've lived life and we have something to learn. Last month, I just sat down and had coffee with a, a, a Ugandan-born man who is now a missionary uh, in Africa, and he's planting churches in all over Africa. And I sat with him, and he's telling stories of his missionary journeys, planting churches and the struggles and joys and the conversions and all the wonderful things that have been happening. And then he, he rolls up his pant leg, and, he, and I see these huge scars on either side of his legs and of his calves, and he pulls up the other one, and there's matching scars on there. And he said, you know, here's where I was captured by ISIS, and they drove a bolt through both of my calves and hung me upside down. And this is where I'm not speaking much. I'm listening. And then he says, you know, that we, they put 100 people in one of these 40-foot storage containers, you know, those, those, uh, those trucking containers or shipping containers. And he says, they, they put you in there, and then they put you out in the middle of 
the desert and they have the roof off and they, and they kept us there for three days and, and those who didn't die and who survived, they took out and th they were strong enough to go on to kind of the next thing that they had for them. And he's, remember, he's telling me the story of being in this shipping container and talking to people about Christ. And he was imprisoned and he was beaten near death several times and, and he says, then he thought, because they called me teacher and they thought I had a demon, they thought I had a, a, some kind of evil spirit and so they let me go. He's like, I'm, I'm okay with them thinking that. He's teaching about Jesus. I'm, I'm just listening to this man and having coffee with him. And now he's in, he's in America, and he, he's, he's here for a time. And I said, what are you doing next? He said, well, I'm going to Chad, and then I'm going to Nigeria, and I'm going to Uganda. and I'm, I'm going back out there. But today I'm sitting with him, having coffee in the foothills of Dove Mountain, sipping coffee. He's got a nice shirt on, and he's sleeping on a pillow-top mattress, a king-size bed at his house. And I'm just listening to his stories. I'm humbled. I'm energized. I see wisdom just coming out of his experiences, what he's learned. He's seen the highs and he's seen the lows. And here we have, in the story here, we have someone like Paul, who has learned he has been in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And he says, I have learned how to be content in no matter what circumstance I face. And not many of us will ever experience, not many, most likely none of us will experience being hung upside down with bolts in our shins because of ISIS capturing us. Not many of us will experience the highs and lows that Paul experienced, these extreme polar, polar opposites of, of a life. And in four verses that we read, Paul uses the pronouns I and me 11 times. That's a lot. He's saying, I and me. And this whole passage is saturated with himself. Not, he's not trying to elevate himself, but he's, he's willing to put his life and his experience on display for us and say, would you look at what I've come to learn about contentment? Would you look at my life and my sorrows and my joys? And would you, would you consider these things? Would you wrestle with these things? And would you hear the words that I have to say? Would you sit and, and, and learn and this is a hint back to a previous passage that we read where he says, join in imitating me, meaning as I follow Christ, would you follow me? See how, the, how I process my fears. See how I process my worries and how I process my joys and the, the, the mountaintop experiences in life and see how I, I, I wrestle through the times where I'm near death and I'm being tortured and I think I'm going to die. Follow me in that journey. And we can learn from Paul no one in this room will likely face the extremes of life's joys and sorrows that Paul faced. But still, we experience highs and lows. We have great days and we have bad days. We have loss and we have gain. We have hunger, we have, we have abundance. And everything in between. And every day might be different. We don't know what's around the corner. And Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content in all things. And I want to be like that. I want to learn that. And so here is what Paul will show us about himself. He shows us his circumstances, he shows us his self-esteem, and he shows us his secret. So first, let's look at the circumstances of Paul. Paul says, I've been poor, I've been hungry, I've been rich, I've had my belly full, I've had it empty, I've learned to be content in all things. Here's a little biography about Paul, which is amazing. His name was Saul. Maybe you, have come to, maybe you know about him and his story. His name was Saul. He was a Roman citizen. He was also a Jew. He was a serious Jew. He was the best Jew. He was like the up-and-coming, like, big-time Pharisee. He memorized the law. He memorized the, uh, the, the Pharisee code and learned it. He was passionate and brilliant. He lived in the city. He was very prestigious. 
very well spoken. He despised Christians. He pursued them and tried to kill them. He was responsible for the, the killing of, of Stephen in Acts, the first martyr. He desired to kill Christians and hated them. And one day on his way to Damascus, a city where he was going to go and, and persecute Christians, the resurrected Christ confronts him, knocks him off his horse, and blinds him. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wanders into Damascus that day, and he finds a Christian man named Ananias. And God tells Ananias, put your hands on him and pray for him. And when Ananias prayed for him, the Bible says that scales fell off of his eyes. And he became a transformed believer in Christ. He was baptized, he was given the name of Paul, and he preached his first sermon. And now the Jews want to kill him. Now the Jews are, there's even 40 there are 40 people that got together and they made a pact with one another. And they said, we will not eat another meal until Paul, until Paul is dead. There were people just passionately pursuing to kill him. He went from a hero in the Jewish world to the lowest of low. He was lowest of low. He was beaten unconscious. He was stoned by people, killed, attempted to be killed with rocks. People thought he was dead. They dragged him outside the city because they didn't want a, a corpse in the middle of the city. Miraculously, he lived through that somehow. He was arrested again. He was tortured. He was thrown into prison multiple times. Five times it says that he received lashes, 40 minus one. So it was believed that if you lashed a guy in this, in this way, 40 times they would die, and so they would hit you 39 times so that you didn't. Paul saw that happen to me five times. Three times he was beaten with big wooden sticks. He was shipwrecked three times. You would think after the second shipwreck, you're like, I'm walking from here. Thanks. <laughs> There were times of enormous fruit in his ministry, conversions and people coming to the Lord. There were times of abundance. There were times of waiting on God, not knowing what's going to happen next. You can visit the prison in, in Rome where he's writing this letter, supposedly where he was held, and there's a hole in this floor, speaking with a pastor friend, telling me about this, this, uh, this, this experience that he had. And you go in there, and there's a hole in the floor. Now, it's, for you, it's the floor, but for the prisoner, it's the ceiling. And so it's down in this hole, and that hole was there. They would open up, and they would throw the food down. And this is where Paul would get his food when he was in prison. And the food would be slopped down and thrown on the dirt floor, and you can imagine him just scraping it up and eating what he could. And this is how he lived for two years in this prison. Looking what... Now, look, look at all that Paul has gone through. This is a very small little picture. And, and hold it in your mind. Hold, hold that thought in your mind of all that he has gone to, and then picture him in this dark alley, hiding from people trying to kill him as they run through the streets looking for him. Hold that picture in your mind as he writes this letter in prison in Rome. And he says, you know what? I have learned in whatever situation to be content. It's amazing. You know, it's one thing to be content when things are going well. It's very easy to say that. You know, I'm just content in my life. Things are going great. My family is happy and healthy. My job is, is a real joy. I've got more money in my bank account. God is, uh, he is such a blessing to me, and I'm content. Of course you're content. But to be content when you have none of that, when you have had all of that, and you know what it's like to taste abundance and to be in wealth, and to be at the top of your game, and then to have nothing. Paul is saying, I, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have nothing. If God makes me wealthy, 
praise the Lord, I'm going to use my wealth to push the gospel, to advance the kingdom, to glorify Christ, to serve him completely. Open-handed, I say, all that I have is yours. If it's poverty, if I have nothing, if I come to a place in my life where all that is taken from me, praise the Lord. Open-handed, I give everything to him. I'll trust him to provide in either way. I'm good. If everyone hates me or if everyone loves me, I'm okay. If I'm sick or healthy, I am good. If I'm surprised by what happens tomorrow or if it's the same stuff, different day, and just the monotony of my life, I am okay. I've learned to be content in everything. This contentment, it shows Paul's self-esteem. It shows his internal confidence that he has because of his relationship with Jesus. Let's look at that self-esteem. This is the next one, the self-esteem of Paul. You know, before this year, I had no reason to fear Ebola. I had no reason to fear the measles or listeria, and now I do. Now I got a lot of things on the list, like now I got to be worried about that. I didn't have to think about that stuff, and now these things are on mine. The more you think about it, the more you worry, and the more, the more you hear all the people talking about it, analyzing and thinking and, and thinking deeply about all the things that could go wrong, that's a recipe for worry. That's a recipe for a very low self-esteem. And there was a point for Paul of self-analysis. It was a point of looking inside and looking at his heart. And he realized that he was far from the law of God. After a life of trying to be perfect, a life of trying to do everything that God has said, he was cut to the heart and convicted, and he, he thought he was great. He was the next big thing. And then he came to realize the power of Jesus' death and resurrection for salvation. He said, I don't have that. I don't have contentment. I've been fighting for it my whole life, and I don't have it. I'm so far from that. I'm not that guy, and I can't get that, and I've tried so hard, and I still don't have it. And I think this is what Paul came to realize as he looked inside. He said, you know, it was never about my needs, or it was never about my money. He says this. It wasn't about the need. It wasn't about the comfort or health I desired. It was about the loss of self-sufficiency. I had relied on myself, and, I, I, and then I was let down. I, it was the realization of my greatest fears that the things I was putting my trust in were letting me down, were failing me. And that's what terrifies me. That's what worries me. When we look at our needs, when we analyze our problems, it usually doesn't make us feel better, does it? It usually makes us feel worse. If we think of all the things that could go wrong today, it doesn't make us feel better. It makes us feel worse. I don't like to go on roller coasters. I don't go skydiving. But someone looking into my life would say, Pete's afraid of roller coasters. He's afraid of skydiving. But that's not true. I actually, let me correct myself, I actually really love roller coasters. I love the exhilaration. I love the speed. I love the fun. I love the adrenaline. I love the feeling of power, doing something really fun. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of being afraid. I'm afraid of the feeling of fear. So the hardest part of roller coasters for me is waiting in line for the roller coaster. I don't want to go skydiving because I don't want to wait in a plane before I jump out of it. I'm okay jumping out of a plane. I just don't want to wait to jump out of a plane. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was right. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm afraid of being afraid. Do you know what, this, you know what he meant by this? No, I wasn't there. You knew I wasn't there. I'm fully aware I wasn't there, but, but you know what he means? FDR was, was telling the American people in the midst of, of the greatest uh, low that our country has ever seen, a massive war, 
debilitating depression. He says, when you're, when you're afraid of being afraid, that only makes it worse. When you're lonely, thinking about the fact that you're lonely, that's, that's worse than being alone. When you're discouraged, thinking about being discouraged, that's like worse. When this is what he's getting at. Just the, I don't, I'm afraid of the feeling of being afraid, and that makes me afraid. I'm not afraid of roller coasters, but roller coasters make me aware of the fear of being afraid. I don't mind the idea of skydiving, but skydiving makes me aware of the fear of being afraid. And Paul says, all of my good, all of my pursuit, all of my self-sufficiency and my control, my worst fear was not having that, and it came true. You know where it got me? You know where it got me to, to be the best person I could be, to follow every letter of the law, to be at the top of my game, to look inside and just to be a better person? He said, I, I lost. My self-esteem was bound up in what I could accomplish, in what I could achieve, what I could grasp for. My self-esteem and my security was bound up in the power and praise of men and what they could give me. And it counted for nothing. And then he comes to this dramatic change in his life that we read just uh, last month in Philippians 3. He said, he counted all things as loss. Counted all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul has come to this place where he says, I'm not afraid of being afraid anymore. He says, I don't care what you think of me, and even more so, I don't care what I think of me whether I'm loved or whether I'm hated, it makes no difference. Whether I live up to my expectations or I don't, it doesn't make any difference. Whether I live up to your expectations or I don't, it doesn't make any difference. And it's good for us to ask, well, Paul, how did you come to that place? How did you make that change? What is responsible for this stability that you have in your life where your self-esteem is, is confident, where you are secure no matter what happens? And this leads us to the secret of Paul. The secret to contentment. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A coffee cup verse, I think, maybe. But also the most misunderstood passage in all of Scripture. Top three for sure. Despite what you have been told, you do not have the power to do anything you want. I can't be a mom, no matter how much I want to be. I can't jump out of a plane. No, I could probably be pushed out. This verse is not about the power to win a football game. It's not about the power to beat cancer. It's not about the power to land that big job promotion that you've been praying for. Now, God does perform miracles. He does heal disease. He does bless us with good things, but this is not what that verse means. If anything, you know what this verse means? It is the power to be content when you lose, when you're sick, when you are passed up for a job. It is the power 
in spite of those things, to still be okay. God's power is not for our success. His power is for our faithfulness, no matter what life brings our way. That is the secret to contentment. You know, we, we've missed the point of life, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the, the resurrection of Christ. We've missed the point of it all if we believe that Jesus did all that so that we can be secure in our life, free from trouble, free from sacrifice, free from worry. If we believe that God has done all that thing, all those things so that we could come into a life of comfort with him, we've missed it. But what he has secured for us is so much more beautiful than that and so much more interesting he has secured for us his power, the power that is perfected in our weakness. So much so that Paul realized, you know what, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Because his life, death, and resurrection and love for me, it is his power to be content in all things, especially my weaknesses. That, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Because then it means his power is perfected in me, and it's more realized in my life. It's more understood the power to live by a gospel-shaped life that fills every void, every part of our mind and our hearts with his unconquerable love. That's the power to do all things. It is the power to be secure no matter what. According to the Bible, if we are united in faith to Christ, we are as secure in our life as Jesus himself. As Jesus himself. And Jesus is pretty secure. Jesus even says, even if you die, you will live. Even if, what's the worst thing in your mind? Even that, even that the worst thing that happens, you're going to be okay. But you don't understand what I've done or who I am. Even then. But you don't understand how many times I've tried this and I keep failing. Even then. If anything, this verse is not referring to the power to succeed, but it is spoken in reference to all the times when we don't. Paul's not writing this with his feet on the sand on the beaches off of Rome and saying, I can be content in all things through the power of Christ who strengthens me. He's doing it from inside a prison cell in Rome. He's in a dark cell and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even here the Lord is with me. Even here, I am safe in the affection of God the Father. Even here, nothing can take me out of the love of Christ. Wherever you are, moms, in the highs and the lows, somewhere in between, say you're, you're a mother and you're feeling like, I'm just a bad mother. I try to be a better mother. I see other mothers that are doing better than me. This is for you. Even here. Your identity is not wrapped up in you being a mom. It's not even wrapped up in you being a good mom. It is wrapped up in you being in Christ. And when we realize that, when we're in Christ, that our identity is Him, when, when it is His unconquerable love that fills every space in our mind and in our heart, then we can learn the secret to being content in all things. If you're not a mother, but you would like to be a mother, and you are waiting it is here that the power of Christ allows us to be content. Not when it is not, we don't praise him when we, when we have that good news. We praise him. We praise him because his unconquerable love has filled our life. And we are secure in him. 
I know it's hard to hear. I know it's hard even to say, and I don't understand everything. But I look at Paul and I see, how can this be? He says he's learned the secret, and he means it. I, he says, I've learned the secret to being content. It is the power of Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through the power of Christ who gives me strength. And then Paul's head was cut off. And he was killed. Paul didn't win. He, he, he wasn't successful in that regard. He couldn't do all things. But what he meant was it doesn't matter, I am safe. And that's why when we see back in this book, see we're coming to a close next week on the book of Philippians. And now we look back in the memory of all that he has written and he says, we say, well now I know what he meant when he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happens, whether I live, whether I die, I'm secure in Christ. You know, Paul, at the end of his life, he again was in prison, and he wrote this in 2 Timothy. By the end of his life, he said this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Can you picture Paul saying this? He's in prison again. And this sweet contentment, how he takes this deep breath and he says, I'm good. I'm good. I'm at the worst point in my life and it feels like I'm at the best. I feel I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. I have, I have pursued him. I've made him my treasure. I have loved him. I have experienced his unconquerable love, and it doesn't matter what happens. And I'm excited because I, I know his promise is that what's laid up for me at the end of this race is, is him. It's his appearing, and I get to be with him face to face. And he'll reward me on that day with his presence, with his reward, with his full affection, with the, the, the uh, I'll be free from prison, free from my flesh, free from the torment of feeling shame and guilt, free from difficulty in life, free from torture and threats. I'm excited for that. Paul says, I'm good. Can you picture this satisfaction? He has seen that God is better than food, better than shelter. He is better than life. And here is where you and I can get this same kind of contentment, that deep breath of contentment, no matter what the circumstance. And I, I'll warn you, it's counterintuitive to what you might think, or maybe what you might think I might say. The way to, how do you get the power to be content? Here's the answer. To admit that you lack the power to be content. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? You see, a medical doctor is useless unless there are people who acknowledge their sickness. That's what they're there for. Uh, they're useless without that. The whole premise of physician relies on the existence of sickness. So contentment in Christ, if we desire to be content in Christ, to experience his peace and his joy and his power in the midst of all circumstances, which, by the way, God commands, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Then we must realize we are unable to be content in any situation on our own. That's the whole point. The whole premise of the gospel is that we need it and we cannot have it on our own. The only thing we need to be a Christian is to realize that there's nothing that we can do on our own to become a Christian. 
The only thing we need is neediness, is acknowledging that we need it. Jesus says, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Recognizing our, our spiritual sickness is the prerequisite to the healing power of God's grace. If we desire to be content, we need to realize our inability to be content. You know what the power of God is in this instance? It's the power to admit that we can't do it on our own. The power to admit that we are needy. The peace of Christ is good for when we do not have the peace of Christ. The power of God is good for when we do not have the power of God in our life. Don't you understand? If, if you and I would believe on our own, have peace on our own, and get through troubles in life on our own, then what, what is there a need for Christ. Why would we need grace of God? But the fact that we do need Jesus points to the beauty of the gospel, and here is the whole point. We look at God and his perfect demands, and we say, well, I can't do that. I haven't done that. I'm struggling to do that, and that's the whole point. Then we lean in, and then we grasp, and then we gather our entire life, and we say, Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, I'm going to gather my whole life and everything in it where I do not see contentment, where things are going well, where things are going bad, and I'm going to bring it all to you because I need you. You are enough. And all of us need this today. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, you need this today. You need this encouragement. You need to know that Jesus is enough. And and to recognize this need, maybe for some of you, you've never done that before. You need to trust in him Today, Some of you need to do this for the very first time and say, Jesus, you are enough. There was this shift with Paul, and here is where we'll finish. A shift that must occur for every single Christian. A shift from finding contentment from within to finding contentment from without. Paul's contentment was found because he was content in being a man in Christ on whom he was totally dependent, on whom he totally relied. He is not an independent person, but a person in Christ, hidden in Christ, trusting in Christ with all things. A change from self-sufficiency to Christ-sufficiency. That is the secret to contentment. Christ-sufficiency. Depending on him in all things. And this Christ-sufficiency results in a person that is not spared from highs or spared from lows, but a person who is able to rise above the wants of worry and the wealth and the pride that comes from that in any situation and to be content. Do you love God enough to be content in all things? Is Christ sufficient for you to be content in all things? Grasp after him more than anything else. And if you do that, what will flow from your life is a season after season after season of contentment in all things. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.